This morning, we are going to be looking at uh, actually a number of, of Scripture verses, but uh, we'll be rooted, if you will, we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles with you and want to uh, open to, those, uh, to that book and to those verses, encourage you, invite you um, to do so. While you're doing that, I want to kind of give you a, um, a, a preview, uh, kind of a, a what to come or what is to come kind of a moment. And that is, uh, to let you know that after worship today, really right after worship service, um, Tony and I are actually getting out of town. We celebrate our 20th anniversary this week. So we are leaving. Thank you. And I will say very sincerely, she deserves way more of that applause than I do. Um, but, but we're going to be leaving town for a few days and um, even though the kids are, you know, much older and well able to take care of themselves, uh, my father and, and his wife Judy are going to come to kind of be there. We're not leaving the kids totally on their own because we're not idiots. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm teasing. You're trustworthy. I'm getting, I'm getting a real ugly look right now from the front row. Um, but, but so I was talking to dad about it and I said, well, we'll be back next Sunday, Tony and I, but... I said, Dad, if you're going to be here for the week, why don't you just preach on Sunday? And he said, all right, I will. So I'm excited because so often he fills in, and if you've, you've been here and heard him preach, he preaches when I'm gone, and I'm looking forward to getting the chance. I mean, this is the, the, the man I, you know, heard my entire life and, got, and really kind of grew up at has his feet, uh, learning, learning what it was to, to bring God's Word. So he's going to do that next week. So I'm very excited. You're going to want to be there. It's going to be wonderful. Or be here. It's going to be wonderful. So I just want to let you know that that's coming. If you have not heard him preach before, then come and you'll get an idea of where I get it from. For better or for worse, you'll get an idea where I get it from. All right. Now, this morning, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. going to pick up this letter that Paul writes to the church is. going to pick it up at verse 15. And this is what we read. This is what the Lord speaks to us today. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Friends and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word, and let us pray. Lord, you fill your church, fill us as your body. Speak to our hearts that we truly will see through the eyes of faith and may grow in obedience to the one who has called us, the one who has given himself for us, and the one in whose power we live and move. That is Christ our Lord. Amen. 
couple summers ago before I uh, left for the summer as has been kind of the, the, um, the routine, I guess, for the last few years. Those of you that know that I'm, as I've continued and I'm continuing my, my education, that um, I've been gone, you know, for about three or four weeks each summer. A couple summers ago before I went up to Kentucky and spent that month up in Asbury, uh, they sent out an email and basically said that uh, we need drivers. We need some, some of the students that are willing um, to be drivers because all of us or most of us fly in from parts, you know, all parts of around the world. There's 40 of us in the program. Half of us are um, U.S. students. Half are from uh, international students from Singapore and Australia and India, I mean, and, and Africa, parts all, all around the globe. And so they were asking for some students that would be willing to drive because with 40 of us there, what they do is they rent uh, the f- about four 15-passenger vans so we can get places that we need to go. And so I immediately jumped at the opportunity. I immediately volunteered. And I would love to tell you it was because I'm so altru- altruistic, I'm so selfless that I was volunteering out of the goodness of my heart. The truth be told, I wanted to make sure I had wheels available. And I knew that if I drove, I'd get to keep the keys and I'd have the van at my access and disposal if I needed to get away for a night. And so um, there, was, there was some self-serving motivation. But I also, you know, played chauffeur for everybody else. So I should get at least a little credit for that, even if it's just a little. But, uh, but it was the first time, the reason I, I was thinking about this, it was th- that vehicle, the van that we picked up, or the vans that we picked up, it was the first time I've driven a vehicle that had a technology that is very um, familiar to many of you. Many of you probably have it in your car. I've never had it in a car I've owned. And that is a backup camera. God bless the backup camera. I've never, you know, I've seen them in cars before. I know people that have them. I'd never driven a vehicle with a backup camera, and I love the backup camera uh, because it makes it so much easier. Driving especially a big vehicle like that where you have a lot of, of blind spots, that camera just, just made it simple. You know, you can, it, it gave you, I mean, it literally gave you the eyes in the back of your head and it allowed you to see in ways that you normally couldn't. It, to get a deeper understanding, you know, you look back, you look in the rearview mirror, but there's always those blind spots. And technology is developing and evolving, if you will, in such a way that in many of the new cars, and again, probably in some of yours, uh, there's technology that's, that's designed to help compensate for the things that we don't see very well. Uh, not only the backup cameras, but the alerts that will beep if you start to back up and get close to another object. Uh, the, the side sensors that are now available in some of the cars, that if a car is in your blind spot, it blinks or flashes or gives you a warning. So even if you don't see it, you know that they're there. And then the self-correct features, if a car starts to, to drift out of its lane or starts to get too close to, it, to another vehicle, that are all designed, certainly with safety in mind, but to help us understand that we can't always trust what we see. Sometimes there's realities, there's truth that's beyond our, our visual comprehension, if you will. I mean, it's the blind spots. It's the thing that we all learned about when we started driving, that we teach our kids or our grandkids when they start driving. Always be aware of your blind spots because I'm going to guess that most of us have had that experience where you've checked your mirror, and you've checked your side, but you haven't given the older, over-the-shoulder glance, and you started to drift into the other lane only to the, hear the rude awakening of the horn 
of the other driver letting you know that space is occupied. And if you're lucky, it's just an embarrassing and a startling moment and doesn't result in any kind of accident. The reality is we cannot always trust what we see. Illusionists, magicians, they make a career out of this. We are amazed and we are entertained by the things that they do, but we know that what we see is not the reality. We know that David Copperfield did not actually walk through the Great Wall of China. We know that did not happen. He did not. She's arguing with me. I'm sorry if I'm bursting the bubble. But, uh, but, it's, but our eyes would tell us that he did. Our eyes would tell us that he made the Statue of Liberty disappear or in the local shows. Our eyes would tell us that that you know, beautiful assistant just got sawed in half. But we know that that's not the case. We know that there are times when there's a truth and there's a reality and there's a story beyond what we can see. And that's what Paul wants the church to understand. That's the, the heart of what Paul is writing about here and part of his letter to the churches in Ephesus, Ephesus. He wants them to understand that there is a far deeper truth than we can see and experience with just our physical eyesight. Now, understand, this is another way. There's two truths about this letter to the Ephesians that we read from this morning. One is that it's called a circular letter. Uh, this is a little different than some of Paul's others, uh, other writings in the New Testament. Often Paul would write to a specific church and he would address very specific issues in the church. He does this um, in Corinth uh, and, and he does this in um, Galatia where he's writing to that church. It'd be, it'd be as if he wrote a letter to, to perish and said, here's some things I want you to be aware of, things that I see that, that I, want you to help or I want you to help deal with and, and overcome and work through as brothers and sisters in Christ. So he writes very specific letters to very specific churches. But this letter isn't that kind of, of a letter. This is what's called a circular letter. He's really writing this to be, to be read to a number of churches. It doesn't deal with very specific issues. It's a theological it's a sermon, really. I mean, that, that's the way you may look at it. He's writing a sermon that he wants the church in Ephesus and other churches in the area to receive and to read and, and to help them grow in their faith. Romans is very much the same way. And so it, it's a circular letter, and it is also what's called a prison epistle. Paul writes it in prison, probably in Rome. Around 60 A.D. is when they, they date it or some scholars date it. And if that dating is correct, that means he's writing it toward the end of his life. It would not be very long before Paul will lose his life on account of his obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. And so he knows that the church is going to get this letter. They're going to get this letter from Paul. They're going to get this letter from this man of faith, this apostle, this ambassador for Jesus, and they know he's writing it from prison. And I believe that Part of what Paul's concerned about is that they're going to experience a radical disconnect because of the apparent contradiction in those two realities. And what I mean by contradiction is this. They, they may understand faith the way that we sometimes understand faith. And that is if we're obedient to the call of God in our lives, if we're faithful to the way God has called us to live and love and express His goodness and His grace, then we will be blessed, which is absolutely true. But very often we have a very, very narrow definition of what blessing is. 
We think blessing means that things will go well for us all the time, that life will be smooth, that the difficulties and the obstacles will be removed. It's the, as I've said before, it's the proverbial yellow brick road. Just stay on it. Everything's going to be good. Paul knows they're going to be receiving a letter from, from a man who has done his very best to live as obedient to Christ as he could. I mean, Paul is such a wonderful story of redemption. And, and I've referenced in the last few weeks, if you've been watching uh, the series uh, AD on, on NBC every Sunday night, is, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And there's, there's a lot of reading between the lines. You understand that they, they're kind of the, the writers. They're filling in the, some story. It's not, it's not contradictory to the Gospels or to the biblical account, but, but there's some liberty taken. And they have made Paul, if you've been watching, Paul gets, or Saul gets introduced in the last two weeks, and they make him about as vile and nasty a figure as you're going to find. I mean, he is completely um, unattractive in every sense of the word. And I, and I love that because we're going to get to see, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the story, but I'm pretty sure we know how it goes. Uh, you know, we get to see a, a radical transformation in Paul, an encounter with Jesus. And so Paul goes from this vile persecutor of the church to this proclaimer of the gospel. And he is as faithful and impactful on the, the church as any person beyond Jesus. He's had more to shape who we understand we are in Christ than anybody. I mean, you're just not going to find more faithful a person than Paul. And yet over and over, he talks about his sufferings. He talks about his arrests, his persecutions, his beatings, his stonings, his exile. I mean, just over and over, he suffers for Jesus. And Paul knows that there's a problem here if people understand blessings in too narrow a way, if their vision is such that the only thing, the only thing they can believe and trust in is what they see with their eyes, they're going to have a problem. Because it doesn't seem, there seems to be this contradiction between faithfulness and blessings. But there isn't. And Paul knows there isn't. And, and we know there isn't. And so Paul writes this at the very beginning, verse 3. I didn't read from this verse at the beginning, but he said this. From his prison cell, writing this letter, this is what he puts down. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He wants them to know right from the very beginning, I'm writing to you as somebody who's been blessed. And God blesses us but we have to be willing to see a little differently because we're blessed in ways that aren't readily apparent. It's like the blind spots. If we aren't aware of the blind spots, if we don't have something at work in our lives to help us to see on a bigger scale, we're going to miss that truth. And so he goes on to write these words in verse 17 and 18. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Hear that. The, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that the spirit of the Holy Spirit, that's what he's talking about, will give you the Spirit, the ability to understand deeper revelation and enlightenment, to understand deeper so that the eyes, not of your head, not your physical eyes, but the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding may be opened, as we sang about this morning, may see a deeper and a more profound truth in the face of what seems to be contradiction. That 
that the Holy Spirit will correct what you think you know. I, I thought about this as I was preparing early in the week. I, I started to kind of think of this reality of, of correction in our lives and, and the fact that we have people in our lives and, and technology in our lives that, that are meant to correct us when we get off track. Uh, the proverbial red pen of the teacher you know, who grades the paper to let us know where we were wrong in order to try to help us get right. Or, or even in, in kind of simpler and less profound ways, in, in the technology that we carry. I mean, those of us that carry cell phones and those of us that have been um, introduced to the reality of not talking but texting, the fact that very often our messages no longer are communicated orally, they're communicated with our thumbs. And, that, and if you want to talk to anybody under the age of about 30, you better learn how to text because they don't talk on their phones. They text. I was laughing one day, I was talking to Cassie about this, and she was texting, and then she was using the voice to text so that she didn't have to type it, she could speak it. And she would text her friend, and then her friend would text back, and then Cassie, rather than reading it, would have the phone read the text back. And I thought, you know what, Cassie, one day, one day, there's going to be this great technology that will cut out the middleman, will actually let you talk and the other person even hear what you're saying in real time. I'm thinking, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Just call them. But that's not the world they live in, and that's not the world we live in. And so we do this texting. And I started to think about this, this technology of autocorrect. You know, if you text, you know, exactly where, where if you misspell something, it corrects. It, it, the idea is to get right. The, the, the technology wants to make sure that you communicate what you mean to communicate. The funny thing is sometimes it messes us up. Uh, messes us up. You know, you, you, I, I've seen and, and, and done the, um, I, I saw the text once that said, really looking forward to the Christmas Eve party tonight. I mean, the New Year's Eve party tonight. Can't wait to kill you at midnight <laughs> instead of kiss you at midnight. Um, the, the how many have you, um, how many are you expecting at the party that becomes how many are you executing at the party? Those kind of things. My favorite was the one that got sent out, said, um, I have to send my apologies, but due to what meant to be said was, um, unavoidable uh, circumstances. I cannot attend the gathering tonight. But what went out is, due to unavoidable circumcisions, I cannot attend the party tonight. Sometimes it doesn't quite get right what it means to. But the reality is often it does. And very often it corrects what we, we mean to say. It, it, it makes it clear or it, it overcomes the deficiencies, our, our human error, if you will. And that's what I started to think about the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation. But then I got corrected because I don't think that's the best image to use. Because in that case, the correction is saying that you are wrong and I want to get you on the right path. What the Holy Spirit does, what the spirit of wisdom and revelation does, is not to discount or deny our experience of what we see but to give us a bigger, under, a, a bigger picture. Help us to see it in a grander scale or a deeper understanding in some of the same ways, in, in far more significant ways, that that camera on the back of a car helps us see what otherwise we couldn't see with our naked eyes. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It begins to correct and deepen us in this experience of the reality that we face. Let me... Let me go to the Psalms, if you will, to explain a little bit of what I mean. The Psalms are books of songs, of prayer, of poetry, beautiful, poignant, powerful. 
familiar to many of us. What I love about the Psalms is they're also very raw. They're also very real. I mean, they're prayers that are, that are gut-wrenching in the Psalms. There are prayers that cry out to God in the face of the contradiction of life, in the face of the experience where what, we, what we're facing and what we're dealing with doesn't seem to line up with the blessings that we long for. And the Psalms are full of honest prayer. And if you've worshipped here any amount of time, you know that I'm a big believer in honest prayer, in, in laying it out before the Lord. And that's what we see in the Psalms. For instance... Psalm 13, hear how this begins. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I mean, do you hear that? That is not the kind of prayer you come to expect on a Sunday morning. That's not what you expect me or John or, or Sam or whoever's praying that morning to pray. But it's an honest prayer. Lord, where the heck are you? Where are you? Right now, I'm not feeling very blessed, and I'm wondering, have you forgotten all about me? That's what the psalmist prays. If you go a little bit further, and we could do this all day, but I'm just going to pick out two. If you go to Psalm 22, and you hear the beginning of these words, these may sound very familiar to you. This is what the psalmist writes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Honest prayers. Prayers that are cried out in the midst of what seems like a contradiction. Why, God, if I believe and am faithful and doing the best I can to follow you, why am I in this place? Why am I in this place? And it is in the honest prayer, it is in the crying out to God that what we begin to allow to happen is God to speak back into us. That's why I believe it is so much healthier to be honest before God as the psalmist is, as the scriptures are, because it allows God to begin to speak back into us through the spirit that Paul is praying for, a spirit of wisdom and enlightenment, a spirit that begins to help us understand a bigger picture. It does not negate the difficulty of the reality. It's not a spirit that says, oh, buck up, it's not so bad. Suck it up, get over it. That's not the prayer. It's a prayer that says, but allow faith to speak to you about a deeper promise even in the midst of it. And this is what I find so powerful in those psalms. They start out with cries of anguish and cries of of struggle and cries of pain. But I want you to hear how they end. Go back to Psalm 13 where it began, How long, Lord, will you forget me? And hear just a few verses later how it ends. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good. And then back to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is how the psalmist ends. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So the question becomes, does reality change for the psalmist from the opening prayer where they're crying out to God to the end where they proclaim his goodness and love? Does reality change? Does the experience change? Does all of a sudden the storm clouds go away? No. 
they begin to trust in the promise of God, not because the storms dissipate, but because they remember. They're reminded enlightenment and revelation and wisdom that God's in the midst of that. God hasn't abandoned, hasn't forgotten, but is there and is present. And His promises are as real in the midst of the contrasts as they are in the midst of the joys. That's what Paul wants the church to hear. That's what he goes back to in Ephesians chapter 1. He wants the eyes of the heart to be opened. So hear this. So that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power. Paul says, no. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, this is going to cost me my life, but I have forgotten not my hope. I have forgotten not my inheritance, and I have forgotten not whose power at which I find strength and courage. Hope, inheritance, and power. It's the gift that God gives through His Holy Spirit when we believe and trust in Him. It reminds us that even in the midst of of what may sometimes be difficult circumstances, God is working for plan and purpose. Not cause, but for plan and purpose to restore all things. This week, we celebrated here on Friday morning the life of of Ivan Hamby. These flowers were part of his celebration of life. They they were in here. Many of you don't know Ivan. Uh, Ivan and Mary Kay. Uh, Mary Kay continues to be faithful members of the church. Ivan was part of our leadership when I first came here. And as we prepared the service, and I met with Mary Kay and his daughter Kim, as they, as I always do, I asked when we met, is there any scriptures you'd want read at a service? And, and Kim said, yeah, I want to read Revelation 21, 1 through 5. It's the next to last chapter of the entire Bible. And since that time, this text has been reverberating in my mind, in my thought, in my heart. And I want to read it to you. This is John's revelation. God's revelation to John, I should say. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I want you to remember this. We, we get confused about Revelation all the time. It is a difficult book. But don't forget, John's writing to a church that is being persecuted. God gives them a vision that says to them, endure, be strong, have faith, because God's moving to restoration and redemption. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is at work even when your eyes don't see it, even when it's not as visible as you would like it to be. Trust and see deeper. It goes back to Paul with the eyes of your heart so that you would know his hope. You would know your inheritance and you would find his strength. I want you to hear that, his hope. The day is coming. 
the old will pass, the new will come, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. All things will be made new. That's our hope. That's our inheritance in Christ. And it is found through the power of God, whose word we can trust, whose words are trustworthy and true. It ties right back. It is the crux of this gospel message. It is not a promise that we won't experience moments that really make us wonder. If you've just never looked at the world and wondered where God is, I'm not sure how close you're looking. If you've never found yourself wondering, how does this, in my life or anybody's life, how does it make sense? Because there are times, I'm telling you, it just doesn't. It just, at least I haven't figured it out. What I trust, what I believe in, what I'm willing to stake my life on is that God gives us a deeper understanding to help us see in our blind spots, to help us to have faith and to trust that there's things going on beyond what our physical eyes can see, and there's a plan and a purpose in all of creation, and God is weaving it to completion in His time and in His plan. But we can trust in that. We can trust in His blessing and His presence now. It's not just wait till you die and go to heaven. It's here and now. It's in the moments even in the dark moments where Paul in prison can say, I am blessed. And Paul and Silas can worship and sing songs of thanksgiving and praise even while they're in chains because they know they're blessed here and now, but they know there's also a promise yet to come that sustains and strengthens. That's the correction. Yes, there are apparent contrasts, but God gives us a greater understanding through his spirit of wisdom and enlightenment. My prayer is that you know his hope. You trust in your inheritance, and you are blessed and empowered by his strength. Let's pray. Lord, it is a challenge, this journey of life that we walk. It is filled with moments of great joy, and it is filled with moments of, well, moments we just don't understand. We don't know. We struggle. We cry out to you. Lord, speak to us. Not that it denies the reality, but in the midst of it, we can find a hope and a peace. We can trust in your promises and be strengthened by your presence. Hear our prayers. Strengthen us in our faith. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.